Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Dennis Spring, who is president of Spring Associates. Today we will discuss the state of public relations employment and salaries, as well as the 2008 official public relations salary and bonus report. Dennis began his business career at what was then the largest public relations marketing and service organization of its kind, with offices in eight U.S. cities and London. The company served over 2,000 corporate public relations departments and firms. He was promoted during his tenure and rose to become Vice President of Marketing and Client Relations. In 1980, he founded Spring Executive Search, Inc. Ten years later, he named the firm Ten years later, he renamed the firm to Spring Associates, Inc. In addition to executive searches, the company also handles communications, audits, mergers and acquisitions, client agency reviews, and PR agency selection searches. Dennis has served on the management boards of the New York chapters of the International Association of Business Communicators, the Publicity Club, and the International Committee of the Public Relations Society of America. His articles have appeared in publications such as PR News, The Public Relations Journal, PR Services Magazine, PR Business, and PR Week. Dennis is a combat veteran who served 12 months with the 1st Cavalry Air Mobile from 1967 to 1968 in Vietnam. His decorations include a Purple Heart and Bronze Stars for Valor and Service. After the military, Dennis returned to Brooklyn College where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Literature. He and his wife, Penny, reside in Manhattan. Dennis, welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for joining us today. So, Dennis, you have seen the evolution of public relations from a very unique vantage point. Not only have you seen the field of public relations changing, but you have also observed the business of hiring and salaries and searches very close up as a search professional, if you will. Would you tell us a little bit about that and sort of a nutshell of where we are in 2008? Let's see. Actually, um, we, Spring Associates uh, or Spring Executive Search, has been in business now about 28 years, and uh, and prior to that, as you mentioned earlier, I was in another firm for 15 years, so all told, I've got more than uh, three decades of experience in this business, and I've seen it go a long way. I can remember the days, in fact, I started when I was rather young, I was still going to college when I started in uh, in this business. And I can recall that uh, most PR agencies in particular, let's say, were uh, very small operations, charging uh, uh, very little money per hour. Um, it was not unusual to charge uh, uh, $100 an hour, in some cases $500 an hour, which was uh, considered, uh, or, or not an hour, excuse me, a month. Uh, I meant to say a month. Um, and at that time, it was considered uh, rather average. And in fact, the, the word marketing was 
was really never used in, in the public relations realm. Uh, the business was made up primarily, almost entirely, of former reporters, writers, and editors. The business was considered a writer's business. Um, and over the years, I've seen that uh, writing has never really gone away. Writing is still uh, probably the single most important skill that any one public relations individual can have no matter what level they are. Um, however, today, public relations involves, as many people know, a whole host and a full range of <clears throat> skills and services that uh, companies require and agencies provide. So today, we, we see not only what is known as marketing communications, which includes all aspects of marketing, as well as public relations, but then things like media training, and it just goes on and on. The business has uh, basically expanded depending on the needs of the corporate uh, clients. Um, the other interesting thing, I think, um, in the early days, hard to believe, you would think it would be today, but in the early days, um, corporate PR departments or corporate communications departments, as they were known then, in many cases, it was not unusual to find as many as 20, 40, and in, in the case of, uh, of mobile, mobile oil, when they were on 42nd Street in New York, <clears throat> there was something like 150 corporate communications professionals working in those departments. So what we've seen over the years is that PR went from a very small, mom-and-pop in many cases, boutique kind of business to a much larger business. Uh, as we see it today, the agencies have become huge. They've become international. Uh, many, uh, Most of the agencies are owned by large ad agencies, international ad agencies. And corporate PR departments, on the other hand, or uh, corporate communications departments, have now decided instead of bringing or hiring huge amounts of people in-house and creating these uh, pyramids uh, within employee pyramids within within the company, now because of costs, obviously, uh, PR and corporate communications has really pared down on the corporate side. So. Even in some of the most, in some of the largest corporations, more than four billion dollars in revenue, you may find only five professionals, ten professionals. Very unusual, or, or not unusual today, but in the old days. And when I say the old days, I mean back in the 70s and 60s. Um, that would be quite unusual. And so it's sort of just reversed. It's flip-flopped so that now much of the corporate work is outsource in, uh, to the agencies. And the kind of individuals that we look for in each case um, are somewhat different, although there's one, uh, one caveat I keep hearing from the corporate side, and that is that, uh, or it used to be uh, even more so uh, from corporate clients, was Dennis, in the old days, they used to say, please find us somebody that only has corporate experience. Don't send us anybody that has agency experience. 
was that corporations internally work very different uh, differently than agencies do, and therefore agency people would have a very hard time putting up with politics and the structure, the multi-tiered structure, and reporting relationships, and so forth. However, over time, that too has changed. Many agency people with agency backgrounds have managed uh, to now work within the corporate structure, and as a result, they too now are, in some cases, not always, looking for people with agency experience and corporate experience. And that, to us, is the ideal candidate. The ideal candidate in PR today is somebody that's got both corporate as well as agency, might have some nonprofit, association, possibly academic, in some cases military uh, experience. In other words, a diverse background. Um, and somebody who has possibly worked internationally. That is either with international clients, has actually worked in a corporate communications capacity overseas, uh, whether it be in Europe or South America. Um, so people who have the most diverse background are, are probably seen today, not only by us, but of course by our clients, as the most, um, as the ideal candidate. In terms of their skills, you mentioned that in the early part of the PR profession, 30, 40 years ago, writing was critical and that many of the professionals came from very strong or professions with a very strong writing background. What other skills? I know you said writing is still very important, but the media, of course, has changed and we're continuing to see that change as more and more of the newspapers, for example, lose their editorial staff and shrink in size because their profitability models are falling apart. And other media types take their place, such as social networking and blogs and podcasts and videocasts. How is this affecting the practice of public relations? Are these companies adapting, and understanding that the skill set needs to change? Well, we are, we are definitely seeing more searches where clients, our corporate clients, are looking for candidates that have these particular skills. That is a full range of skills involving, um, in, in, in particular, not just writing, but then also media relations skills, programming that is PR planning and programming, strategy skills, and, and then as well, social media, understanding and being able to work with the uh, social media and in many cases, uh, as you said, video, video casts and podcasts and so forth. Um, however, I wouldn't say that um, it has yet, I mean, there are positions that we have, uh, we have come across in which clients have asked for people specifically with these, uh, what we call these social media skills. However, um, as a general rule, they're not the, the highest paying uh, position. Uh, what we find is that uh, even though 
companies want to see these skills in their candidates, uh, the highest uh, the highest salaries will go to those people who bring the most to the table as relates to co uh, corporate revenue and profit. Uh, revenue and profit in the corporate world is uh, is king at this point, and so they want to know that whatever you're bringing to the table, whatever you're bringing into the equation. They want to know that you have skills that, in one way or another, um, is going to add to the profitability, whether directly or indirectly, to the um, uh, to the the whole corporate, you know, compensation profit idea. And many, in many cases, it's going to be their stock price if they're a public company. So people that know how to plan PR programs. Um, for maximum exposure, uh, those are the people um, that are going to get the highest paying jobs in our business, as well as those people who can sit down with senior management, interact with senior management on a strategy level, and be able to manage, and when I say manage people, I mean hire and fire, uh, not just supervise. Those are those are the positions that will pay anywhere from 125000 and up. Everything up to that point involves people who may have uh, a diverse set of other skills, including experiences, as I mentioned before, at various kinds of firms who have been involved in marketing, uh, direct mail, who have international experience, that is, who have either worked with international clients or who have worked overseas, understand other cultures, possibly are multicultural themselves, um, uh, possibly speaking another, who, are, who have ability to speak another language. And uh, we have a, client, a candidate right now that we just presented to a client who we know has Asian clients. And the person that we... Uh, we sent forward, even though uh, that wasn't uh, specified to us, we sent forward an uh, Asian-American who happens to speak Mandarin and who the client now is very interested in because her clients um, are very interested in people that they can speak Mandarin to. So the, the job that we have as executive recruiters, which is, of course, what we do, is to fulfill the client's request and, and to target and to focus in on the requirements of the position as best we can. And to that end, we uh, I created a database many years ago, which is broken down, oh, something like 35 or 40 different ways, in which we've included people who are bona fide public relations professionals with bona fide titles who have at least one year of experience, who we then either interview personally or on the phone or uh, through email or one way or another, um, and put them into our database, and we code them up, um, and, and depending on their skill set, and that's done based on 
our evaluation of their background. Quite often people see their own background very differently than we see it. Um, oftentimes they think that they're more involved in, in certain aspects of the business that possibly they would like to be involved in. But in reality, once we interview them, once we look at their resume, we see that maybe their focus has been more writing or more media relations rather than PR planning or strategy, in which case we will then code them according to how we evaluate them and into our database. That way, we know that when a client asks us to find them a, uh, a uh, PR, maybe it's a supervisor, possibly corporate communications manager, whatever it may be with a very specific background, we know that once we go into our database, which is step one in our search process, out will come those people that we have evaluated that have some form of this experience, and then we move out from there. Dennis, let's go back to basics for just one second. Okay. And I know this may sound really basic, but veteran practitioners still struggle with this. How do you define public relations for purposes of your report and, and even when you're doing a search on behalf of a client, you've gone over some of the skill sets that your clients are looking for, but at what point do you say to somebody, no, this, this isn't a public relations job, you need to find someone else to help you? How do you come about and distill this definition? Mm, excellent question. Um, <clears throat> Well, uh, that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because, in fact, just recently an oil, uh, a very large oil company came to us and uh, wanted us to find what they were calling a marketing communications, uh, in this case, director. Um, and it was a $125,000 uh, uh, base salary position, and it would go up from there. Uh, but by the time I finished reading the specifications and met with the client and discussed the position, uh, it really started to take on <clears throat> the look and feel <clears throat> of what I call a, a marketing person um, who happens to have some public relations experience rather than a public relations professional who happens to have some marketing experience. There's a big difference there. Um, and, and usually we can tell based on the kinds of things that the client is going to require, both in terms of the candidate's or, or the potential candidate's experience, as well as the responsibilities of the job. So if, if for instance, uh, things like uh, direct mail, uh, sales, um, uh, marketing uh, brochures, um, things of that nature, if they take precedence in the overall responsibilities of the job, chances are we're looking at a marketing person. And then, of course, if they also ask for some public relations experience, like writing press releases and or pitching the media, then it's a marketing person who happens to have some public relations experience. So sometimes we will handle searches like that. It depends on the 
the mixture. In other words, if it's almost 50-50, we're, that definitely falls within our purview. If it's more 80-20, meaning 80% marketing, 20% PR, chances are I'm going to say to them, the person that you're <clears throat> looking for can be better found possibly through some other search firm that specializes more just in marketing. Although we do have many of these people, and the interesting thing is, I actually come out of marketing or, or database marketing myself. Uh, so I understand the kind of individual that they're looking for. It's just that in the last 28 years, uh, my firm has concentrated almost entirely in the public relations business. And in that case, we go by, we go by title and, uh, and, and a lot of people that, and that, that's a point I think that should be made here. Um, many, it's, it's not unusual for us to hear from a candidate who, let's say, is a, uh, a manager, a uh, corporate communication manager, who then says to us, well, um, you know, I'm looking for another manager job or a director job, but the title really doesn't matter that much as the responsibilities and so forth. And I understand that. However, the client oftentimes will put heavy emphasis on the the person's existing title. And that's where in our salary report we have listed all these various titles and even um, alternative, as we call them, alternative titles that some other firms use. The, uh, the title structure in the public relations business is all over the map. And it's quite different than even the marketing business where they have fewer titles. But in PR, there's lots and lots of different titles, and it becomes very difficult to try and um, uh, try to find an equivalent title in one company to another, and and because that is usually one of the criteria that's used by our clients in determining how much salary, how much compensation, and also how much responsibility can this person handle. So. Um, Getting back to your question about uh, the difference between marketing and PR, uh, it usually becomes pretty clear in the title, in the list of uh, specifics that the uh, job and, and the responsibilities of that job will require. It, it will become pretty clear. And uh, if, if we can help, you know, clients that are looking for, you know, people with some marketing, that's fine. We're more than happy. But usually, uh, if, it's, if it's mostly marketing, uh, we're probably going to say, no, we don't think we're the best people for this type of job. Help us paint a picture, Dennis, of the field. How many public relations jobs would you estimate are out there, just in total, in the United States? Hmm. You asked some excellent questions, I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> that means you're tough, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, again, of course, it's an estimate, and, and it's just a guess. But um, I can say this, that the <laughs> without actually giving you a specific number, I can give you one or two other uh, statistics. One is that... Um, and I always thought this was an interesting one because it's held true from the day we started to today, and that is that all all jobs that are gotten through executive recruiters, 
personnel agencies, outplacement firms, and any other kind of firm that finds jobs for people is about 12% of all the jobs gotten in, in the United States, not worldwide, in the United States, which means 88% of all the jobs that people are getting in a given year are gotten, 12% of them are gotten through people like, like us and my firm, and 88% are gotten through other means. The largest or the, or the greatest percentage being gotten by referral. Uh, one friend telling another, one person who works in a company that knows someone else in another company that's looking, that type of thing is something like 60%. So, and then the rest of the positions are usually gotten through job boards um, and then the social media and this type of thing. It's not as many as most people would think. There's no question that referrals are still the, uh, still the lion's share of how people get jobs these days. So the most important thing I advise candidates Anybody interested in looking for a new job or thinking of looking for a new job, is stay networked. And don't just network when you're looking for a job. Network all the time. Always be out there. You never know when that next opportunity will present itself. And that includes when we executive recruiters pick up the phone and give you a call out of the blue. You never expected it to say we have this great opportunity for you. So us knowing about you, being in our database, being recommended by somebody that we know, uh, or even not through us, is always the best way to get a job. But in terms of the number of actual PR jobs out there, I couldn't say, but I can tell you that every year there are more and more and more. PR has become more important in the the whole corporate scheme of things than ever before. And I really believe it's because (laughs) PR has actually done PR for itself somehow or another. If if you think back um, uh, to even, what, 10 years ago, the, the words public relations, PR, were, were hardly ever uttered, uh, either in, in the uh, news media or by business people. Most people saw it as uh, some mysterious kind of business, and nobody really knew how it worked. And today, you hear the word PR, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Sometimes it's in a negative way. Sometimes it's in a positive way. I have to say, it's more negative than positive. But... As we say in PR, it's better to have exposure. It's better to be noticed than not noticed, whether it's, whether you think it's, it's a, it's in a negative way, and in some cases not as flattering as maybe you would want, but at least you're being mentioned. And I really think that has, that has had a lot to do with the increase of the business in terms of, um, the, uh, how the, largest international ad agencies who own PR firms, how their PR divisions and uh, PR sectors have grown, how the uh, entire business, that is the agency business of public relations, has absolutely exploded, 
there are firms now all over the country, uh, some as small as two and three people, some, you know, even bigger, 40, 50, 150 people. Uh, and these are not owned by ad agencies, many of them. Uh, this was not the case in just, what, five, ten years ago. And I think the, the, uh, uh, the PC boom, those boom years that I see from maybe late 1997 to <clears throat> late 2001, those, that, that group of years, three to four years, uh, did more for the recognition of PR, the recognition of the power of PR, than any other time that I can recall in my entire PR career. And much of that, of course, was due to all of those new startup, high-tech, upstart companies who relied entirely on PR to uh, tell their story. And, and I honestly think that's what really created this interest now in public relations and also uh, because of how expensive it's become to advertise, also to to uh, do direct mail, uh, to print uh, brochures and booklets and catalogs, and it goes on and on. And the the more expensive those those processes become, um, I think the more attractive the entire public relations business and and industry becomes. And as a result, even now. When everybody's talking recession, I've been through three or four recessions since I've been in the, in this business. And, uh, if we're in a recession, this one is a heck of a lot different than the ones we've been in before. In that we seem to be certainly at least holding steady and then in some cases actually doing quite well. So, you know, I, I, all I can say is I, I see PR and everything I read and everything I hear tells me that uh, the whole public relations business is expanding and the kind of individual that uh, clients seem to be looking for are getting more and more diverse and experienced. Let's talk a little bit about that 12%, Dennis, that you mentioned a few minutes ago in the let's put the 88% aside for a moment within that 12% that i assume you're most familiar with mm-hmm. what would you say is the profile of those individuals i assume that because someone is paying a third party to find them the right candidate that these tend to be for more experienced more senior level corporate or agency type of folks. Is that right? Not not exactly. Um, I think at one time that statement would have been correct. Um, and I would say pre, uh, in the 90s, that would have been correct. Uh, we used to hear quite often uh, our corporate as well as agency clients would say, you know, uh, we, we generally don't use search except for the most senior positions here at the firm. What we are finding since then is that uh, companies are finding it more and more difficult. Now, it's kind of interesting when you think about all the 
the monsters and the hot jobs and all of the various ways now and the social media things that companies and individuals have of, of sort of finding each other, you would think that um, there would be less use of firms such as my own, which actually was a worry of mine at one time. <laughs> but right now, uh, but what we have found is there is what happens is that even even through those methods, companies are becoming much more particular about who it is that they hire. And as I mentioned earlier, that's, I think, the primary reason that companies will come to a search firm like ours, because it's easy to find lots of people, uh, meaning through job boards and social media and advertising and God knows what else, but are you finding the right individuals? And sometimes you get lucky and you do. You find the right individual. But what they're finding as well is that it's not really the case. And so when they do come to us, they usually are uh, very specific and very targeted about the kind of person they want. They'll say to us uh, if, if they're looking for, and, and I'm aware of... Uh, who I'm speaking to now, if they're looking for somebody with a multicultural background, they're very specific about that. They don't want uh, people that don't have that background. If they're looking for somebody that absolutely must be able to speak Spanish because of the fact that the job entails a lot of um, travel, let's say, to um, Spanish-speaking countries or, or in the case of agencies, they may have uh, Spanish-speaking clients, whatever it may be, um, they will make they will be very clear about that, and that's something that we will be very targeted about. And we will go forward and uh, and specifically look for um, for that ability, you know, whether it's Spanish or French or, or Chinese or whatever it may be. Um, and also, by the way, uh, in terms of uh, multiculturalism, as long as we're on that subject. Um, there's no question that the most ideal uh, candidate out there, the most marketable candidate, is going to be somebody who can speak more than one language, or more than more than just English, I should say. Um, somebody who has worked with uh, foreign clients, meaning outside the U.S., wherever that might be, and or who has lived and or worked, preferably worked, outside the U.S., in another country, even if it's for a limited amount of time. Uh, the, country, uh, the companies that are interested in these types of individuals, and there seem to be more and more of them these days because the world is be just becoming more and more international, um, that, that these, are, these are specifically, uh, these are tough, tough candidates to find, quite frankly, in our business. Um, there, are, there aren't all that many. Uh, most of our candidates seem to come from the U.S. and have worked mo mostly here. Uh, but the people that come to us or that we find that um, have experience working elsewhere um, are really prime candidates, and specifically for companies that are doing international business all over the world. Did what, that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. What would you say is the profile of these individuals then if we're not looking at just older, more experienced folks? What are we looking at in terms of age, um, 
ethnicity, gender, salary range? Okay, three out of the four things that you asked me about, <laughs> uh, age, gender, and ethnicity, are three things that we really um, can't ask. We can guess. Uh, we can surmise. Uh, we can assume, but we can't ask. And again, mainly because of um, constitutional reasons and legal reasons, and and that's fine. Uh, but in terms of generally speaking, um, uh, if we're not talking about the more senior positions, <clears throat> and by the way, that's another thing. These days, the uh, when you do say older, um, at one time in our business, older meant over 50. Today, older means over 40 in our business. There's no question about it. People are moving quicker, getting promoted faster, at a younger age than ever before. So it's not as if only the quote-unquote older, more experienced people, <clears throat> in terms of world experience, are getting the senior jobs. We have some people who are in their 30s and early 40s, let's say, who uh, have some very senior-level, high-paying jobs who have just moved through the system rather quickly. But the average person today probably is somebody that's earning right now a base salary of somewhere between, I would say, the average person that we end up putting into jobs. And this is, this is held true for probably oh, the last 10 years. Um, are people earning anywhere from, I would say these days, 75000 base to probably 140000 base? That would be the, um, the mid-range, the, the group that are most sought after today and the ones that we're putting into positions um, more often than anyone else. That is not to say that occasionally we don't put somebody in, into a position um, at 50,000, 55,000, because we will take those on from clients that we've done work for before, and we do it as a, uh, as a favor, and we're more than happy to. Um, <clears throat> nor does it mean that we're not putting in people above the 140. But those people uh, in the group I just mentioned tend to be, as I said, either uh, they can range from their 20s to their early 40s, usually, at, 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 the, at the oldest in that group. Um, and, the, and just because of the way the, the business is made up, they tend to be primarily female. And when I say primarily, I mean, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say, uh, oh, a good 65% are probably female, the balanced male, um, and that figure has really held for quite some time now. Um, the business, the PR business is definitely, uh, the majority is made up of female, and it seems that that's the majority of, or that's the gender, uh, that seems to be most often moving from, uh, when they graduate from college, are moving into public relations. So it could be for every 10 let's say, English journalism PR graduates, um, or I should say English journalism, um, probably two or three are male. The rest 
will be female. So we're clearly, uh, uh, PR is definitely uh, female uh, oriented and has been for years. And many, many years ago, in fact, uh, when I first started, I was on a panel for the Publicity Club of New York, I recall, and, uh, and I, I made that statement. I made a statement such as that, that even then, and this was back in the 80s, and someone stood up, a reporter in the business, who said, well, how can you uh, say that? Because uh, uh, one of the large associations has said it's primarily male. That At that time, she was saying it was more like 45, 40 or 45% female and the rest male. And I said, well, that's not according to reality. We deal with the day-to-day. We deal with, you know, the people that are out there not only working, but uh, ones looking for jobs, but uh, also the ones not looking for jobs. And I, I probed later to find out where that figure came from, and it turns out that those numbers were gathered from uh, the association's directory of members. And so, of course, that's a whole different um, a whole different group than the kind we were dealing. We were dealing with a much broader range group, whether they were members of that association or not. So, again, the average person is going to be female. She's going, she or he is going to earn somewhere between seventy-five and one forty base salary, um, and uh, oh, and and you know, more than likely. Uh, what happens is if they, uh, many of these people, as they, the real fast risers, either end up moving on into the corporate realm or else end up going out on their own and starting their own agency. And we're seeing a lot of that. Now, in the top portion in terms of salary and level of responsibility and experience, what percentage, Dennis, would you say are women because, of course, we know that there are a lot of women in public relations. But oftentimes, when you look at the rarefied levels of responsibility and higher earning potential, you tend to see more men than women. Is that the case? Uh, honestly, I would say I would agree with you if this were, again, maybe eight or ten years ago and, and prior to that. But I would have to say in the last eight or ten years, um, we have seen more and have placed more and more senior uh, people who happen to be women in very senior jobs out there. Um, and, and I know I've heard this as, as often or as much as everybody else seems to have uh, heard this, that uh, uh, the men seem to hold the very senior jobs and the women hold those jobs one level or two below. And uh, I'm sure and we know of many cases where that, that, that is the case, although I know of many others where it's not the case. So um, we haven't done any studies on it. We don't have any statistics on it. But I can tell you that just from our own experience, um, I don't believe that that statistic holds true any longer. Uh, and as time goes on, I think it's going to become less and, even less and less true. And in terms of compensation, I mean, I read all the things you read. PR uh, Week puts it out uh, all the time. Uh, PR News puts it out. O'Dwyer. And they all talk about the differential in pay 
between um, uh, people at the uh, or the different uh, the two genders at the same level with equivalent amount of experience where the male will be earning more. And again, I say in some cases I know that to be true. In others, I, I don't know that to be true at all. And in fact, I would say it was true if, um, if we received a call from a client who said, Dennis, we'd like to put you on a search assignment where we're looking for a let's say a corporate client, we're looking for a vice president of corporate communications, and these, this is the, uh, the responsibilities this person will have, these are the specifications, this is the background, this is the experience. And if you find us a male, we will pay X. And if you find us a female who we hire, we'll pay her uh, X, but it will be less. And I can say to you and your audience, I'm in business 28 years. That has never, ever, ever been said to me, ever. And it's never been the case. If, they, if we are given a search that has a salary range to it, that is a base salary range, which they all do, there is no differential uh, based on gender. But I will tell you that there are other variables that that, salary or compensation will be based on, and it has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with, to start with, the single most important um, fact that will determine how much somebody will be paid, whether male or female, in your next position is going to be, what is your current base salary? That is the single most important variable that is considered when determining compensation in your next position. And what I mean by that is, so for instance, if uh, a person is earning $100,000 base salary, the search that we are on says the job will pay um, anywhere from, let's say, 115 or let's say 110,000 to 120 or 125,000. If we present a person who's earning $100,000, chances are that individual will be offered somewhere in the range of the low range of that position, meaning anywhere from let's say 110 to 115,000. If we present a person that they want to hire that is that comes to them already earning $110,000, they're the ones that will receive the higher end of that range, 120, 122, 125. And it has nothing to do with their gender. It never will have anything to do with their gender. I've never seen this happen. When, and, and this is a, this is an issue that's come up a lot. Many individuals think well, I'm a director. I'm looking for another director job. We come to them and say, okay, how much are you earning? I'm earning 125. We say, fine. We've got a job that's going to pay 150 to 185. And that person will then, unless, that is, if they're working with us, they're going to know right up front if they 
you know, if they don't, they're going to think when they go forward, wow, I have the chance to be paid $185,000, even though right now I'm only earning $125,000. So, and that will not happen. The client, in the end, will always add a, what I call a reasonable increase, percentage increase, to that candidate's current uh, base salary and will offer that to them as long as it's within the client's range. And, and the fact that they will pay from uh, uh, 150 to 185 is just a, it's just a range. It's, it's a place that we're all looking at, but it's certainly not a starting point. The starting point is how much, in fact, what I always tell candidates, the very last question a, a client tends to ask us after going through many rounds of interviews, after checking references, after all the process of, of bringing somebody in and getting ready to hire them, I, can, I, I have to say in more than half the cases, I'll get a phone call from the hiring manager who says to me now, Dennis, just to confirm, how much did you say this person currently earns? That's how important that is. Are there geographic pockets that stand out in terms of the likelihood of having a presence, a stronger presence, differences in salary, et cetera? Uh, yes. And uh, the reason I say yes is because we have found that the places that have the highest concentration of public relations profession. Uh, professionals <clears throat> is where you're going to find the highest salaries overall. And in our salary report, we break it out. We break out eight key cities, as we call them, or key metro cities. They're metro areas of specific cities. There are eight, what we call eight key metro cities in the country that we break out in our salary uh, and bonus report. And we break them out because this is these are the eight cities that have the highest concentration of public relations professionals. As it happens, uh, the professionals in, in these cities or in these metro areas um, also tend to earn more money than their uh, equivalent peers in other parts of the country, possibly in secondary markets and so forth. Those cities are New York, Atlanta, Chicago, L.A., Boston, Dallas, which, by the way, we're going to be replacing Dallas next year with Houston, uh, Washington, D.C., and San Francisco. And so if you are a professional working in any one of those uh, key metro cities, chances are um, you will earn more, more compensation both uh, on base salary as well as overall than your peers in possibly a secondary market like Pittsburgh or St. Louis or what have you. So um, I'm not suggesting that anybody move now. <laughs> but, uh, and again, we're speaking uh, in, in overall generalities, uh, although uh, we call these, these numbers, these compensation figures from our database that, that's carefully uh, uh, mothered, let's say, on a daily basis and has been since uh, uh, since 1984. There's almost uh, 19,000 professionals in there. So 
in that group, you're always going to find some people that are just higher paid for their category uh, at uh, and their title with their specialty category than, let's say, their peers in that same metro city. But that's an aberration, and then um, and we recognize that. But that uh, over the whole database, it all sorts, it all tends to sort itself out and and write itself. But um, uh, I don't believe this will uh, be forever. Uh, it, I think that the, the main reason, uh, and unquestionably, I have to say, of, of course, I, I guess everybody realizes that the um, the New York metro area, by far, not by far, but is always uh, the people in this in this metro area are the highest paid in in our business. One would ask why uh, high concentration of clients, corporations, services, agencies, and so forth. But then, of course, I think more importantly, uh, more media, more national and international media reside in New York. And then also we have the whole financial Wall Street uh, group. And I think between all, all of those things, that's what makes for the highest concentration and also the highest salaries. And in fact, there are times that we'll be on a uh, we'll be given a search assignment by a company that is um, located in the New York uh, metro area, and not, it doesn't just hold true here. But I have to say, it happens more often here than other metro areas, San Francisco, L.A., and so forth, where we'll possibly suggest somebody coming from an outlying or secondary market uh, for a position here in New York, and it not unusual for us to hear, no, Dennis, I'm sure he or she is terrific, but uh, New York is such a wide, varied market with some very experienced and good people. Please find us somebody from this metro area. That is not unusual to hear actually in all the metro areas, but we hear it more often in New York and also because we get more searches from the New York metro uh, area than any other place and also the East Coast, I should say. Um, but uh, and, and as long as I'm on the subject, relocation was much more prevalent in the earlier days, meaning pre-2000, that is in the 90s and the 80s, uh, companies, uh, really most companies, um, had no problem relocating people, paying for their relocation, many cases buying their home, picking up the expenses of selling the home, uh, situating them in a hotel until they found another place, and so forth and so forth. Very rare today. It's happening less and less and less. It's become a very expensive proposition. And, in fact, I even spoke to a, a candidate friend of mine who I put into a job before who was looking to move back to New York from he was out west and it was just him and his wife, no children. I don't even think they had a pet. And uh, they owned their home. And he was talking about a position in New York in the $300,000 range. And he lost out to another candidate who was here in New York that didn't need to be relocated. And the reason was, uh, the client said, was it would cost almost $85,000 to relocate just him and his wife to this area. So he actually lost that opportunity because of uh, relocation expenses.
What about, and I think this applies for our audience who are in the hiring position looking for staff, as well as for folks who may want to know what's going on in the field and thinking about career choices, et cetera. What about bonuses or advantages resulting from things like accreditation or being multilingual or multicultural or having the ability to translate or any of another of a number of possible enhancements to a public relations professional's resume what would you say are the things that are most likely to result in a better position and better pay well clearly uh in a in a case where we have a company whose base of operation is overseas and isn't here in the U.S. and where they are looking or asking us to find somebody who has this multicultural background, that is, again, who maybe has worked with overseas clients, have lived or worked overseas, can speak uh, other languages beyond English, um, those individuals in those positions will clearly pay more, quote-unquote, than the, um, the equivalent position uh, without those requirements. And I can't put a percentage on it because obviously every search is going to be different. Um, but, the, uh, but because we, there, is, there just isn't a multitude of people out there like this in our profession that... Um, the client, of course, recognizes that and will be willing to pay more. And usually when we say pay more, uh, generally it means more in terms of base salary. It will also mean more in terms of bonus and in the case of relocation, if there's a relocation in, involved. They're, they're, in other words, they're just more willing to uh, be more flexible as relates to um, compensation and uh and this sort of, but in terms of um, uh, other skills, um, the, clearly the the skill that or the experience. Well, let's put it this way: you will get the the maximum amount of compensation going into any new position if you bring relevant experience into your new position, and it's as simple and as basic as saying, if I receive a search from PepsiCo and I present somebody from Coca-Cola, that individual will clearly receive more money, and the client will be much more flexible on compensation overall as well as specifically for that individual. In other words, experience is king. It is number one. So if if you are coming from a competitor, a direct competitor of one of our clients, and we're on search for that client, you have the best possibility of being noticed, being interviewed, being hired, as well as getting the top end of the range of that salary walking through the door. Uh, secondarily, as I mentioned before, the other... Um, hard-to-find skills, such as language skills and, again, 
cultural skills, understanding other cultures and so forth, that too will um, will always command more of compensation walking through the door. Uh, and then lastly, um, again, going back to that variable, which is one of about five or six variables, what is that candidate earning today? In other words, if you fit all the specifications, you've got the, res uh, the experience, uh, you've, you've mastered the responsibilities, um, then the final question is, okay, how much does that candidate earn? And as I mentioned to you, you know, not everybody, no matter what our figures say, not every single person earns the, uh, the salary ranges that, that we show in our report. Most of them do because it's an average range, but some are going to earn more, some are going to earn less within that range. So if you earn less within a particular range and fit all the other qualifications, you become a really prime candidate because now the client feels that they don't have to pay you the high end of the range walking through the door, not giving them as much flexibility down the road in terms of promotion and in terms of increases. And, and, and other things, um, so you you actually become more marketable, more desirable at that point. So those are some of the things that um, uh, we look for, uh, and and there's still nothing like a uh, terrific attitude that helps, you know. <laughs> Dennis, in terms of the report itself, if we could talk about that for a, a couple of minutes, would you... Share with us what is it exactly and what is it based on? The Rangers and what they're based on? The report. We're okay. talking about the official public relations right. salary and bonus report for 2008. Well, um, we it's made up of a number of tables. They're pretty easily laid out and, and self-explanatory. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of color and... Uh, uh, and all the graphs and things that people tend to see on things like this, the first thing that's important about the salary uh, and bonus report, and notice I use the word report, it's not a survey. Surveys are based usually, and I, and I don't know of any that aren't, on what I call a rather shaky foundation. And what I mean by that is that the core group, the core, core base group, that the survey is based on, uh, if they are not a, um, a credentialed group, and if they are not, and if their um, backgrounds are not verified, then the whole rest of the survey and the findings of the survey, in my mind, become questionable because you're basing it on questionable individuals with questionable backgrounds to begin with. And as I, as I say to many people. Um, there's lots of people in the world that think they're in public relations, and I'm sure everybody has come across these. Uh, there are, and we get them all the time. We get lawyers, we get teachers, we get cops, we get uh, military, and it goes on and on, who all claim when they get to us, well, sure, I've done public relations. Well, that's where our evaluation of them and their background becomes key because they do not end up in our database. They do not become part of our foundation for these figures until we have cleared them as being bona fide public relations PR people 
with a bona fide title and at least one year of experience. The report itself is made up of tables broken up into two basic groups. One is a corporate group. The other is the agency group. And uh, it is cross-referenced by specialties, category, title, uh, geographic location, whether they're a key, in a key metro city or if they are uh, regionally based, meaning uh, north, south, west, what have you. Um, and each of these are cross-referenced. So I'll give you an example. For instance, in our uh, 2008 report, you might see on our, uh, let's see, on our uh, regional uh, chart, a regional table, you might be looking to see, uh, well, what does somebody uh, with an internal editorial, internal communications editorial background who lives in the Northeast, or not lives, but works in the Northeast, and who is a manager by title in a corporate communications department, you will just move down the table and you'll see that the range for that individual is 88,000 to 100,000, and that and then it also shows the percentage increase or decrease from the previous year, which in this case is 4.4%. And it goes through throughout, whether it goes from communication specialist to manager, director, VP, senior VP. The specialty categories that are covered are corporate financial, consumer, high-tech, industry B2B, uh, internal communications editorial, uh, investor relations, Healthcare, medical, pharmaceutical, and public and government affairs, and then and that's broken down both for regions. Table two, uh, the next table for that would be four key metro cities: New York, Atlanta, Chicago, and L.A., and then Boston, Dallas, D.C., and San Francisco. And then we do the same and/or similar thing for the agencies, breaking them down by title, specialty, and so forth. We also include bonus ranges, a chart that covers those same specialty categories, same titles, except here we don't break it down geographically because that would be too difficult and because also bonuses are the toughest thing to determine because they're uh, so mercurial. They just change from year to year and they're easier to track on the corporate side because usually corporations have very specific formulas for uh, bonuses, but on the agency side, it can be uh, just about anywhere, and so those are tougher to track, but we do track them, and again, we show you the range, we show you the change. We also have a, a table that lists um, actual agency uh, hourly rates, what they charge their clients on an hourly basis, uh, and that too is cross-referenced, broken down, and so forth. Um, one of the reasons we go to this extent, uh, and that's, and one of the reasons that the, uh, report is so detailed is because I found over the years it has to be. There is just no way that you can find an equivalent job in Pittsburgh, let's say, um, for a given corporation, um, uh, and a comparable corporation in New York with the same title, even the same responsibilities, they're going to pay differently just given their geographic 
area. And some areas pay more than other areas. Um, and we take, and all of that is really, it just comes out of the information that we've collected throughout the year from our, uh, candidates, prospects, people we put into jobs. And the, and I think it's important to know, note what the variables are that go into these breakdowns. And that is, as I said first, number one is current base salary. The second is title. What is your title to the extent that it indicates one's responsibilities? Um, third is the geographic area that you're working in, including the actual metro city. And fourth, the specialty category that you're working in, healthcare, IR, financial, consumer, whatever that may be. The size of the company matters as well, given, you know, is it a $1 billion corporation or is it a $10 billion corporation? Is it international? Is it regional? And so forth. And then last but not least, your actual tenure within your particular company um, that you're coming from. Uh, all of those variables will in one way or another need to be factored in when determining what your next compensation will be going into a new job. Who is the report designed for? It seems more like it would be useful for executives who are in the human resources department and making hiring decisions than for people looking for a job. Is that right? That is correct. It's absolutely correct. The the lion, in fact, probably 99%, I say, 99 because there's always one individual that insists on buying it, but uh, the price of the the price of the report is three hundred and ninety nine dollars, just so everybody knows. And just about everybody who buys it, and just about everybody who we recommend to buy it, are people in hiring positions, managing positions. They may be HR directors. They may be, uh, you know, the the range is amazing. We've we've had uh, financial analysts, compensation analysts. I've had competitors buy this, CEOs, COOs, CFOs, HR people, uh, the list goes on. It seems that anybody um, who is responsible in one form or another for a group of people and their compensation. And so you could be the owner of an agency, you could be the owner of a company. Um, but, uh, and those are the people who, who really... I have to say, who really like the report and who we almost all of them come back year after year. And, in fact, many of them tell me they actually use this as a way um, of paying their people. Um, when people ask for raises and so forth, they, they pull out the report and say, okay, let's see what you earn in relation to everybody else at your level and so forth. The people, the individuals, if you're an individual in public relations, you need to be in public relations. Again, fit that criteria. You can go to our website, and there's a free form there that you can fill out that asks you a whole bunch of questions, which, by the way, include some of these variables I mentioned. Um, and it doesn't cost anything. You can just go in, you fill it out, uh, put in all the information, hit submit. It comes back to us. We then run it through our system here. We run it through our database and outcomes figures for you as an individual. 
And um, these figures will include, um, one, what, what your peers are earning regionally, meaning all over the country, not just in any one specific area. Secondly, we give you a figure, or we show you the figure for your peers uh, who are in your metro area with your equivalent experience, title, and so forth, what they're earning, what the salary range is for those people. And then last but not least, um, we show you um, the salary range that you can reasonably expect to earn going into your next job. And those are the three figures that many, many, uh, and we have many, many thousands, literally, of public relations professionals who take advantage of this. Um, some I've actually heard even use this to, uh, in fact, we just had a case like this just the other day where uh, uh, um, two of them, in fact, one were a candidate, not a candidate, just somebody who who uh, ran through this, this uh, procedure, walked in to their boss and said, listen, you know, uh, this shows that I'm being underpaid. And uh, the boss actually gave them a raise based on, on those numbers. And then, as well, we use these, these figures, as in the case of a client just recently came to us and um, uh, told us what kind of uh, person they're looking for, background, experience, and so forth. And uh, we matched the salary range that they said they were willing to pay against our report and found that it was rather low. It was, in fact, much lower than what the average person would be earning. And for us to do an effective job, uh, we're going to need to, so uh, you know, we're going to need to bring that salary up in order to do an effective job for the client. So we went back to them, and they did raise uh, their salary limit on it, based on the fact that others earn that amount of that amount of money out there, and that's who they're looking for, or that's who we're looking for. So it has multiple uses, and uh, uh, and again, it's really. You know, it's a guide more than anything. There's nothing that's perfect out there, but I will say it is probably uh, the most accurate uh, report of its kind in PR that, uh, um, that certainly I'm aware of and have been aware of. Um, some of the big compensation analysts have called me and, and uh, questioned me over it and so forth, and they end up buying the report and... Uh, and then there are other uh, large analyst um, companies, and I won't mention names, but who sell their surveys, quote unquote, their compensation surveys, for thousands and thousands of dollars, and they're nowhere near as accurate as this. So uh, again, it's it's mainly because we're in it, we're on it, we're we we are, we we are updating this continually, constantly, daily, has been for years. Dennis, what would you say in closing, if, if you had to look into your crystal ball and guess that are the hot changes, trends in public relations, in the practice of public relations, from your perspective, what are companies looking for in their hiring? What What is hot? Well, in terms of, in terms of specialties, uh, that is skills that candidates can bring these days. Clearly, having a knowledge, um, an interest, 
uh, and even beyond just the knowledge. I mean, really understanding how to work with the social media, all aspects of the social media, um, is becoming more and more important. And again, this is in that group that I mentioned to you earlier, and that is the 75,000 to the 140,000, right in there. Um, secondly, because business in general has become so international, and we've received more and more calls from companies overseas who are wanting to do business, who are opening offices here, who need PR people here or there, or, by, or to travel back and forth, no question, multicultural people, you've lived or worked overseas, you've, you've worked for um, overseas clients, wherever that may be, you speak another language or two. We have some people that speak six languages. It's amazing. Um, these people unquestionably are going to be and are becoming more and more needed. The other thing that has never gone away, as I mentioned earlier, writing skills. You must be a good writer. You must be a proficient writer. You must speak in clear and succinct sentences and that are grammatically correct, that is still key in our business. The ability, um, the ability to understand the media, and now, of course, the media is quite different. The, the media is just a full range of, uh, of things out there. And so understanding all the various aspects of media and being, being a real media junkie, that is under, uh, reading everything and being up on everything and it's amazing to us how many people come into the business who really uh, are not that knowledgeable about how all these various media work. Um, but it is clearly, but, but uh, underlying all of this, underlying everything that we've talked about, whether you're going to go to work in a corporation in a corporate communications capacity, whether you're going to work for an agency, an association even, or even a nonprofit, the one thing that is essential in our business is you must understand how business works. What that means is when you come in every day, no matter what your job is, you have to have a grasp of whatever it is you do and how does this, how is what I do. How is it going to relate back to the company's bottom line? There has to be a clear understanding that you know how it all, how all the various pieces fit together. Even when, even when you're working for an IBM, which is huge, you have to understand that what you do, that there's a profit motive. That's why you're there. That's why companies want you. So to just understand public relations, what PR is, how to do PR, that's terrific. But if you don't understand how that fits into the bigger picture, you're going to have a tougher time moving up the ladder into those really senior jobs. Thank you, Dennis, for joining us today from Manhattan. <laughs> My pleasure. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Dennis Spring, who is president of Spring Associates who discussed the state of public relations employment and salaries and the 2008 official public relations salary and bonus report brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority.
Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. Expand your reach, improve your bottom line by reaching America's largest minority effectively with information from the experts. Listen to presentations from national experts in downloadable audio presentations and extended interviews about Marketing to Multicultural Kids, presented by Michelle Valdovinos, who is Senior Vice President of Phoenix Multicultural. Hispanic Perspectives on Advertising, presented by Liria Barbosa, who is Research Director at CNR Research. The Changing Latino Landscape, presented by Cesar Malgoza, who is Managing Director of Latin Force Group. Best-in-Class Hispanic Strategies, presented by Carlos Santiago, who is President, and Doreen Allen, who is Managing Partner of Santiago Solutions Group. Segmentation by Level of Acculturation, presented by Miguel Gomez Weinbrenner, who is a Senior Consultant with Cheskin. To learn more about these and other presentations, visit our Resources section at hispanicmpr.com slash resources slash hmpr hyphen products.